Welcome to Season 2 of Game Design Unboxed on the No Direction Network, sponsored by GPI. Danielle talks to tabletop game designers about the games they've made. Together, they unbox how the game went from inspiration to publication. Thank you for joining me, Danielle, for Game Design Unboxed, Inspiration to Publication, Episode 24, Sleeping Gods. Today, we are joined by Ryan Lockett, the designer and illustrator of Sleeping Gods, Above and Below, Near and Far, Empires of the Void, and many more games. Ryan, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you. So just to start out, I need to ask, how did you get into the gaming industry? So I've been designing games since I was a kid. Um, And one thing that um, it was always connected with doing art. So I would come up with these ideas. You know, I would come up with game designs and then I would illustrate them. I remember like taping paper to um, like a deck of playing cards and then just like drawing the pictures (laughs) by hand. Um, And then when I was in my early 20s, I started... Uh, trying to pitch games to different companies like Z-Man games and uh, Rio Grande games. And I did not get uh, any, anyone to publish my games, but they're like, Oh, we need an artist. So that's, I sort of started out doing like freelance art for different companies. Uh, I I went to this uh, group that met here in Salt Lake city. It was the Utah, the board game designers guild of Utah. Um, I just happened to see this flyer like up on a, um, I think it when I was up at the university, I just saw a flyer and I was like, oh, man, I got to go to that. So um, I went there and I, I kind of learned a lot. You know, people were like, oh, I pitched my game to Zeb at Z-Man Games or, you know, various publishers. And so I got this. That's where I learned to do that. And then um, we had a convention where um, uh, Jay from uh, Rio Grande Games came and I pitched games to him or a game. And that's how I got hired to do some art for Dominion. So that was sort of my foot in the door. Oh, that's so cool. So he looked at your prototype and asked you, did you do the art for this? And then immediately hired you? <laughs> well, kind of. I mean, I, I explained the prototype to him and he's like, he had all these problems with it. You know, he wasn't really interested, but he said, oh, I have this game coming out called Dominion. Uh, but there's like one card we need art for. Um, and uh, he's like, do you want to do it? I, I said, oh, sure. You know, never heard of this game before. What the heck? <laughs> <laughs> Little do you know, it ends up being the biggest deck builder probably ever. Yeah. It's like yeah. the grandfather. <laughs> yeah, it was that's like so a, cool. It's super lucky. Oh, wow. So then, all right. So that's your beginning. And now for this episode, at least, we're going to be addressing Sleeping Gods. For anyone who has not played this game, would you mind kind of giving an elevator speech of how to play it and what the game is about? So Sleeping Gods is my attempt to bring a like an open world video game experience to tabletop. And so in the game, you play as Captain Sophie Odessa and her crew. And the, the year is 1929. You get lost in this storm, and when you get out of the storm, you're in this strange world. It's like an it's like a mythological setting, and you have to find your way home. You have to explore this world, and you can go in any direction. And so you'll read stories as you explore. You'll go to different islands and read stories, and 
and, and sort of figure out how you can get home. Depending on the choices you make, you'll have a different ending at the end of the game. I will say that was a very distilled version, but so well <laughs> said, because I'm like, there's just so much going on in this game. So how did you go from designing above and below and like near and far to Sleeping Gods? Because those are both very like story-based. Yeah, I with, with near and far and above and below, those games are unique in that they are... Euro games, they're competitive Euro games with a storybook element. And with Sleeping Gods, I wanted to personally, I think that story games actually work better when they're co-op. Um, I had not yet done a co-op game before, and I thought, okay, I want to take this kind of I want to step up here. And I felt like doing a very big open world type of game that was a cooperative game would be a better setting to have like a better story. To it would it would it would fit the storytelling better. Uh, or in, I think I think my goal was to make like as immersive um, an experience as possible, and that seemed like the way to do it. No, it is really interesting. How did you decide on having a bunch of different characters that everyone could use, as well as your captain, your ship, just like the components you chose and the mechanics around them beyond just this really cool book and atlas? Like, could you walk me through like each choice of all those different elements? That was especially challenging because I like one of my early design goals was that I wanted a group of characters and I wanted them to say things like in the story stories. I wanted them to be like a part of the stories. And so it meant like it, it added like a lot of challenges to the game because it meant that I, I always had to have the same number of characters in the game. I couldn't like scale it based on like player count. It was really weird to like scale it based on difficulty. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but I really wanted that because when I was like a teenager, I remember playing a lot of, a lot of the D and D games, the computer games. So like Baldur's Gate, okay. and Icewind Dale, and stuff like that. One thing yeah. I liked about Baldur's Gate and Baldur's Gate Two is you had this party, and they would, you know, as you went around, that like the characters would talk and they would react to different things when you had um, dialogue. and And I was like, okay, I really want that. I want the open world feel, and I really want the characters in there because I wanted, as you go through the whole story, I wanted you to kind of learn and like care about the characters. Do you think you succeeded on that so far from just like talking to people who played the game? I think so. I mean, after reading reviews and after hearing what people say, like it, it sounds like people when they when they finish a campaign, they say, "Oh, I I cared about the characters. I cared about what happened to them." So I think I did. Like I always, you know, as a designer, it's really I, I, all artists are like this, but it's you're always like, "Oh, I could have done better there. I could have done better here." Um, I think there are some things we could have done even better, but I think that basic idea, I, I'm pretty happy with, with how it turned out. That's awesome. And how did you come up with the battling element? Cause I know with like the characters it can become exhausted and how you have it with the different bad guys, like your little minotaur looking guy, like you put them next to each other and it becomes almost a puzzle in itself on how you can use your powers to hit. Like, how did you come up with this? The first battle system was actually all the enemies and all the all the crew they they were standees and um it was very fiddly i <laughs> i did that for a while i had to change it um but there was like a big ship board like you had all these different rooms and you could you would move the characters to different rooms and then whenever you had a battle you would put the enemies on the ship and you would they would move around and stuff like that and then we had the same thing like if you went exploring on like an island then you would have a battle kind of on a kind of on a battle mat that showed like grass or something or like a cave. Um, I ended up dropping that because 
it was so um, fiddly. It was very, there was a lot of labor to like set it up and move everything around because you have nine crew members and then there would be enemies too. And so it, it ended up taking a long time. And so I moved to this other system, which is like a like a puzzly system because I wanted to, it felt like there was a lot of moving around like the characters on the ship, but there weren't that many interesting decisions. And I wanted the, I wanted yeah. to create a system that was like, as low maintenance as possible to set it up, if that makes sense. All you have to do is get those. Yeah, it's not like fiddly or anything. Right. I mean, there are, you know, I will admit there's like a lot. We ended up with a lot of tokens to move around and put on in the battle system anyway. But setting it up is very fast. You just take those monster cards out, you shuffle them, and then you put them in a row. And then you're, you know, you're set. For sure. No, I think it's really cool because I'm a big fan of puzzles. And so just having that little puzzly thing, it felt like a little mini game inside of your story. Almost like any of those video games, like you'd mentioned there, you have a little quest or like you don't know how to open this door but then there's this puzzle and that's how you do it it was really cool yeah yeah that's good to hear yeah like it was one way to sort of break up the the mechanics because that's another challenge in an open world game giving enough variety especially for a game that's like 20 hours long so true i do like the choice of having that logbook so people can write in their little notes and remember their decisions they made in case they play again and they can make a different decision that was a really smart move. Like how early did you decide to do that? That was kind of an early concept, but it felt like it took maybe a year to really nail that down because we did end up designing the game like with the concept, okay, uh, we want players to play through this multiple times and we want them to be like rewarded for doing that. And so how do you motivate people to do that? Um, because the world's so huge, like there's no way you're going to um, experience all of it in that that first play. So um, that was sort of something that came up, especially as I saw groups play the game and they would talk about, oh, next time I'm going to do it this way. And I thought, OK, we got to design around that. That is awesome. Playtesting feedback always makes for great design decisions. Also, the fact that you have envelopes to put everything inside of because no one is probably playing an entire round of this game in like one day. They break it up, I'm sure. Right. You know, that's another thing I think we could have done better on actually is it is a little laborious to like clean it up and and set it up again. But it is nice that you can, you know, you can pack it away. And then, you know, because keeping it out, most people can't keep a game out on their table for 20 hours, right? I definitely can't. I have three cats because, <laughs> yeah, they take components and dice disappear in my house. So, uh, yes, for sure. Yeah. Not me. Yeah, we have two cats and I've learned I cannot leave a game set up. They will destroy it. <laughs> yeah, it becomes their toy. So it's not my toy anymore. Also boxes. Any box that's open is fair game for a cat. Uh, Yep. Oh, man. And so what inspired you to design Sleeping Gods? I remember I was playing a lot of Zelda Breath of the Wild, and I thought, oh, my gosh, okay. Because I had played a lot of open world games like that, but I thought, you know, nobody's really done this yet in in board games. There are, like, quote, open world games. I mean, obviously, all role-playing games um, are open world games but um like tabletop games like tabletop role-playing games yeah but nobody's done like a really done like a board game there have been things that i feel were kind of it's like the it's like an abstract version of it um but you couldn't really go in any direction 
if that makes sense. No, I definitely get you there. Now, since Sleeping Gods, even before Sleeping Gods came out, there have been a bunch of them that have done a similar thing. But I think at the time when I was coming up with the concept, there really weren't that many that had done that. Maybe just like one or two, like the seventh continent. Yeah. And how did you come up with this? Like you have this little ship that's moving around and then you have a bigger chipboard version of it. But the Atlas map where you go off of one end, it tells you to flip to X page number and you appear on the next by like, when did you come up with this booklet versus just a huge board? Was that an early design decision? Yeah, actually, that was a very early one because I had done the book in near and far. And I remember thinking, so I, I really like the, the Atlas concept. Um, because I feel like you can, it's a way to add like a lot of content to a board game without like the cost of the game exploding. Like, for sure. You know, so I thought, okay, because I we had done near and far with the different maps, and I thought, oh, okay, what if we did it where you could just keep going? You know, you just turn the page. It's not because in near and far, every time you play, it's just one map. You just play on one map. But I thought, oh, it'd be so cool if yeah. you could just go north and then you turn the page, you know? So yeah, that was an early design decision. And since you are an artist, when do you start like putting in real art time into this? Or are you kind of just like sketching ideas out? Like how, what is your process when you hit inspiration? Do you just like grab a napkin or whatever kind of writing utensil you can? Do you doodle it out and then you write out it? Like it just, it blows my mind. You've seen very art focused and also very narrative focused, like creative on both sides. Yeah, it, it is a, a an art focus pretty early actually. Um, I uh, sometimes before I like, design a lot of the game, I'll think of the concept in my head, I'll do it like a quick sketch, and maybe like sketch out some of the mechanics for the game. And then the next thing I do is like paint the cover, I'll just paint the cover of the game. And that's sort of, wow. yeah, it's weird to do it so early. But for me, it's like an anchor, it's sort of like, got, it's like a compass for the whole yeah. design. Um, so yeah, I, I painted that cover for Sleeping Gods pretty early. I mean, it did change over time. I, 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 I was constantly going back to it and updating it. But it, like that, that first concept, I had it pretty early. So I tend to do, I yeah, I tend to do a lot of art, like as I'm designing the game, which means that some of my prototypes, I have to like throw away art and I never end up using it. So oh, it's no. maybe How is that not part of your Kickstarter page, like get some of these original prototype art pieces. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I actually have a lot of like prototype games that have just, you know, dead art basically but art i made but you know who who knows if we'll ever actually use it sometimes i end up going back and using it but okay i was gonna say that could be a game in itself just reusing the artwork <laughs> yeah. stories from the past right oh man and how do you keep designing such rich storylines and narratives story is like it's definitely one of my big motivators i know a lot of i guess different designers have different motivations for designing games I mean, just like different players have um, things that they enjoy about games. Um, for me, I really, I do like the story element in games. Uh, as a kid, I, I played a lot of video games and I remember like one of the biggest draws for me were, was the story element in the video games. And I know that sounds funny because like video games aren't necessarily known for like having the best stories. <laughs> but I, yeah. I there's, there's something about like being able to make choices that is really exciting to me in like a story setting, like experiencing a story and making choices. It, 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 there's an immersive quality to that. So I, I'm always drawn to that um, 
in design. But I mean, not only being drawn to it, like what keeps inspiring you? Like, where does this inspiration come from for these narratives? It comes, you know, it comes from a lot of places. I think I have a, a passion for the games, I like the video games I grew up with and like old movies and stuff like that. And I, I'll, I'll be like watching like an old movie, like from the eighties or something. And, um, there's like a feel, there's like a feeling about the movie and I, and that's sort of often that's an inspiration. Maybe the music that's in the movie, I'll be listening to the music and I'll say, Oh my gosh, there's this feeling I'm getting when I'm hearing this music. I want to make a thing like a, a game that has a similar feeling. So players can experience that same feeling. That's so cool. Do you feel you design based off of feeling then or theme or mechanics? What would you? I do. Yeah. Like feeling is like a really big, um, yeah, that's like a, a really big motivator for me in, in the game design. So, you know, people often say, oh, do you design theme, do you design mechanics? Sometimes the games I design that we publish are like mechanic based. Like I'll just be thinking of mechanics and writing them down and end up with like a simple game. Um, I'm thinking of like Rome, for example, Yeah, that has like simple mechanics. And I sort of came up with the game and then basically designed a theme for it. But like Sleeping Gods is really more like, oh, how do I want players to feel when they play this game? Okay. And then so what comes first typically, the gameplay or the narrative for something like Sleeping Gods? I come up with like a basic story idea and then I try to design mechanics that will convey the story in the best way. So with Sleeping Gods, a lot of the decisions I made in the design were basically like how how will these mechanics help players immerse themselves in the world? That was sort of the top. That was like the number one guide when I decided to use mechanics. Okay. And so then as far as the story goes, how do you know when a narrative point is a no? Like what tells you that it's not working because I don't know, maybe it stalls or it stops the crew from hitting some objective? Cause you know, stories are just so subjective. That's true. I, it's really like, it's really a lot of trial and error. You know, I watch groups and see if they get stuck somewhere or if they get bored you know, if they're really motivated to see how like a story ends, like a storyline or a quest, that's that's sort of any time that they would be motivated by that, we would lean into that. Um, I remember early in the design, we had like a lot more structure. It was like every time you played, it was like a certain uh, there was a certain amount of time that you would play, like a certain number of turns and you had to reach a certain yeah explore point number there were like victory points <laughs> in the game and you'd be rewarded for you know exploring a certain amount and i was like okay this will motivate players but i i i dropped that because i realized we didn't need all that structure like when players were in the game they were motivated just to conclude these different storylines. They wanted to see what yeah. happened. And that was enough to get players to keep going. No, that makes sense. I mean, especially with like RPGs, you could have the same group meeting for like years on the same campaign because they just want to see where the story is going. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely what motivates those long-term tabletop RPG campaigns. How do you play test a game like this? Like, where do you find your play testers? How do you play test something that will take hours and have so many different endings? And it's a co-op that you may all lose hours in or win. How yeah. do you play test this? It is really hard to play test a game like this, especially as the designer, because you, you know, if, if you're designing a Euro game, you can play test that yourself a lot. 
because, you know, it's variable every time and your goal is just to win, right? But if it's a story game like this, a lot of the fun is in the exploration element. But if you already know everything that's out there and everything that's coming and like, you know, it's really hard to get that feeling that players are getting when they're playing the game, when they're like experiencing the adventure. Um, I didn't even think about that, but yeah, you, you know, the ending, it's not the same motivation to play for hours. Yeah. It's, I think it's a lot like writing a novel. It's really a lot closer to writing a novel. One book that I like to read quite often is um, Stephen King's On Writing. It's funny, but I, I've used that a lot in sort of narrative game design. Some of the some of the things he talks about in the book. Um, but it really is hard to play test a game like this. You know, you just you try to get as many new groups to play it as possible. So playing it at conventions is really helpful. It's really helpful to see the players play it rather than like send it out for blind play testing. That obviously is important too, but this like design is so based on feeling that you, it, you it's really helpful to just like watch players, you know, and like see if they're bored, see if they hate it, you know, that kind of a thing. I almost feel like you have to have a slumber party or just like a day of renting out a hotel and just watch a bunch of people playing for hours and just be there to monitor their faces and like answer any questions and just see if they're enjoying themselves. Like, do oh, you yeah. run like multiple play tests in the same area to like maximize the time or like, just how do you coordinate the like this? Yeah, well, that's tough, too, because I remember when we were making the game, like we would make updates to the game, but making a prototype was so laborious that we wouldn't make that many prototypes. <laughs> so we usually only have like one to, to play with at a lot of these conventions. So it was like a really long term, wow. a long term design. I think from concept to like files to the printer, it was like three years. So it took a lot of patience. Wow. So then from the inspiration to the publication or just getting it to the printers, like how long in total did it take? Yeah, it was like three and a half years. Um, and I know that doesn't sound like a ton of time for a lot of people, but this was like three and a half years of concerted effort. Like this is what I was doing for my full time job, you know, thinking about it night and day, constantly working on oh, it. <laughs> Going mildly insane, thinking right. about monsters in your sleep and crashing your <laughs> ship. <laughs> so when you're designing, do you just focus on one design at a time then? Or do you kind of shift back and forth between other games? It's really hard for me to shift. I, I'm definitely like a focused designer. I do my best work if I can really dive in and like obsess about something and get it done. But there are moments where I have to take a break and finish other projects. I did, I, I published Rome right in the middle of the development of Sleeping Gods. And actually Rome was inspired by some mechanics we worked on in Sleeping Gods. Oh, that's so cool. Do you feel like you do recycle some ideas from previous games into your newer games? Yeah, there's always crossover. Speaking of Rome, that game came from the the uh, updated battle mechanics we used in Sleeping Gods. So there's like that grid building thing where you're covering the monsters. It's kind of a puzzly battle system. But when I came up with that, I thought, oh my gosh, you know, um, I was actually traveling to Essen and I was just like, I had the worst jet lag. I could not fall asleep in the hotel room. And I remember just basically coming up with this design and sketching it on paper. Um, but it, it was inspired by the, the same battle mechanisms from sleeping gods. 
but yeah, definitely mechanics do make it between games. They, uh, you know, there is some influence between the different games. Which I don't mean, I don't see anything wrong with it. I think that's great, especially because it makes me want to play the Rome game now, because that is a part <laughs> that I really enjoy. And yeah. when you were playtesting and developing, like, what kind of changes, if you were to point out just a few of the, like, major changes that made Sleeping Gods what it is now, could you pinpoint, like, a two, three big changes that you made from playtesting? Yeah, the... Th- I think the first one is it was when I dropped the whole structure system where players had to they would play in like the game was was split up into very specific play times. It was like, okay, you get this this time you get 12 turns. And so you would play 12 turns and you would like you would gain points for doing different things. I remember when we dropped that, it was like a huge relief. <laughs> it, it felt like a, like another holdover from, because I've designed a lot of Euro style games. I mean, they're, they're sure. narrative games, but they have a lot of Euro mechanics in them. I remember that was kind of a holdover from the Euro mechanics. You know, that was another, I, it was a thing I had to get rid of. I feel like that's such a thing with the Euro games is you, it's very victory point based. And so I could see how this would have been a really weird transition. Yeah. And one thing I hear from players when they play the game now is how like open the game is, how there's like no rail, there's like no guard at all. It just sort of lets you go. And for some people that feels really weird. You know, it doesn't have that. It doesn't have as much structure as a lot of other games, um, which really sets it apart, I think. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, what made Sleeping God special compared to your previous titles? I think that's one of them is like really how the game doesn't hold your hand. It just like lets you go. And I I think that was like a risky design decision to make because I knew it would like it would be a turnoff for some players. Sure. But I really wanted because that is a really different idea than basically every one of my previous uh, designs. I think the other thing is I feel like the story in this game I really like that you can go in so many different directions. And so like one group's experience of the game will be like totally different than another group's experience of the game, um, just based on what they they chose. And I really like that idea too. So I think those two things, and just having the characters more present in this game than maybe any of my previous games as well. For sure. I still love the fact that you chose a female as the captain, so thank you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I... I I've really grown attached to those characters and I kind of wanted like a weird crew too, you know, like a, especially for the time period, you know, I thought, okay, let's do something a little different with this crew. Um, and so I really like the dynamic that the characters have. Yeah. It kind of gave me some vibes of remember that cartoon Atlantis movie that Disney had, where you're just like, who are these people? They're so random and yet they're kind of working together. <laughs> oh yeah. That, yeah. I'm sure there was some, there was probably some subliminal, influence from from that cartoon but yeah like the very diverse group of characters and then i met you at gen con and i saw immediately that sleeping gods was easily one of the most anticipated games i mean you guys sold out crazy fast and it's even gone on your website do you have a plan for like a second printing or are you just like hoarding those away somewhere like what's going on <laughs> what's the next steps there yes i have ten thousand in my garage no i <laughs> i uh we've actually had trouble getting them because of the current shipping situation ah yes um, COVID. Yeah, i'm very right. familiar with the shipping issue 
Yeah, we did. So we did a second printing, which I ordered a long time ago. I mean, I ordered it like in the beginning of the year and it actually will arrive before the end of the year, which I'm happy about. But yeah, it's it's really a lot. It's taking a lot of time to get them the copies in because the I remember when we had when the game released and we did the retail release. I mean, we sold out so quickly. I saved some back for for Gen Con, though. That's why we had a few to sell there. But uh, yeah, so far it's been it's been pretty exciting. Yeah, I did like wandering the show, and then one second there's games, and the next second I see T-shirts with the cover art. I'm like, well, that was a smart move. If you're gonna run out, at least get a T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so good. And then just like going back to not all the way to Dominion when you were doing the art, but what made you and your wife decide to start Red Raven Games? I remember seeing other games. This was sort of when Kickstarter was just taking off. And I had sent designs, a bunch of designs to different publishers, but they weren't getting published. And I was just so desperate to to work more in the industry. And I, I thought, okay, you know, I'm seeing some success on Kickstarter. Let's dive into it. So Mallory and I started the company and uh, basically just dove headfirst, made a lot of mistakes, but uh, it was exciting to, you know, be more involved. What made you decide on that name? I think it was like a creature in maybe a story I had written. And I thought it was sort of mysterious and whimsical. And it, it seemed like it would fit the idea that sort of the concept for all of our games. That's awesome. And what is her background? Because I know you you seem to be art. Like, I don't actually know. Did you go to school for this? Or was this just something you were always good at? It was kind of a, a hobby. And to be honest, I feel like I'm just constantly learning and improving. Um, I look back at some of my early art, uh, like my early published art, and just sort of cringe. cringe. Yep. <laughs> like a but, true artist uh, oh yeah so so like every year i feel like i'm learning more about it but yeah it's just been a hobby and mallory she is very talent a very talented writer and editor and um so we especially for like sleeping gods she did a lot of the editing and a lot of like the polishing and rewriting and stuff like that um I'm I'm great at like spitting out a lot of creative junk, um, yeah. but she helps me sort of refine it. If that makes sense, it definitely does. Uh, yeah, I think everybody needs a person like that in their life. Yeah, definitely. It's just so sweet. I love how that worked out with you guys. Yeah, totally. I, it's it's yeah. We've had a lot of fun working together on the different projects. And for this project specifically, what was your favorite and least favorite experience of the journey of this design? I think my favorite has been like players' experiences after the after it was published. I, I've, I've seen some people say, oh, we played through four campaigns. We played for 30 hours. We played, you know, we found almost everything in the game. And I remember when I was designing, I was like, okay, we're going to make all this content. But honestly, no, who's really going to go through this, you know? who's really going to play this much stuff. I, so I didn't know if that was going to work, but it's been exciting to see that some, for some people it has, you know, it's been a motivation and they've like, they've enjoyed it enough to spend that much time with it. That's been super exciting. Um, my least favorite part of the experience was probably the final polishing and manufacturing and all that editing and all that stuff just to get everything ready. I, I remember like 
at the end of production, there were so many loose ends we had to tie up. It just seemed like months and months and months of like polishing and finding storylines that were dangling. You know, they had no ending <laughs> or like art that was missing or, or errors in the book where they would, you would go to a, the wrong place. And I remember that was such a daunting and difficult task to get all that finished. So, Oh my yeah. God. I just imagine like you have some room with a cork board being the entire wall and you have like string going like a crazy conspiracy theorist. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it kind of did look like that for a while. We had the whole map up on the taped up on the wall, like a giant map of the world with like all these notes and all this stuff everywhere oh yeah i i did get a little burned out at the end i will admit so funny and then you have an expansion for this game too when yeah. did you start working on that was it something as you were making the original game because clearly the expansion kind of comes into the atlas you're turning over so tell me a little bit about the expansion yeah we i remember we designed it pretty like in the middle of the design of the game i decided to make the expansion we had a lot of like ideas and i wanted to make the world huge but i did i wanted to make like the base game a little more accessible uh from a like a price point sure. perspective so i i thought okay we'll just do these you know we'll make expansions at the same time and then it'll be a little more like integrated compared to maybe if we had done something else. And how many expansions do you currently have planned then for this game? So we we have two. Uh, so we currently have two expansions for the game. We'll probably do one more. And we have other Sleeping Gods products in mind, but nothing, nothing solid yet. Yeah, that's fine. That's exciting. <laughs> and then <laughs> um, I guess, yeah. So, I mean, what other games do we have to look forward to from Red Raven Games then? So our next published game will be, it'll be, so we did a Kickstarter for a game called uh, Rift Nights. Um, we ended up canceling the Kickstarter. It, it seemed like I had made a few decisions with the product that weren't quite right. And I wanted to tweak them. So I've been spending the last year kind of re working on the game again. We actually changed the name. And I wrote a storybook campaign for the game with a map, just like Sleeping Gods. But it's like a, a small, it's much smaller. It's like a very short campaign. Okay. Um, but I'm very excited about that. Um, I like the the world and I like the writing and all that stuff. So that that's our next thing that'll come out. Do I get to know what that world's about or no? Do I have to wait for the Kickstarter? <laughs> it's kind of a dark fantasy setting, but the, you know, it's from a Red Raven lens. So it's not like <laughs> we all, there's definitely like a whimsical nature to everything we publish, but I really like the, the twist that we had on the genre. So I, that should be out next year. Very cool. Well, I'm excited for that. And then if you could offer one piece of advice to designers, what would it be? I would say it is really helpful to play games outside of your comfort zone. I think as gamers, we maybe get, we figure out a certain type of game that we like, and then we like to sort of stay in that lane. But I think it can be really helpful um, from a creative perspective to play like a couple of things that maybe you normally wouldn't play. I've gotten a lot of inspiration from stuff that I don't play like very often like perhaps i don't play a lot of war games for example same but i you know i have dipped my toe into that and when i do it always it's it's really interesting it always sort of opens my eyes to new ways to think about game design 
So I think that can be really helpful for your brain to do stuff like that. I would definitely second that. My first game I ever had signed was based off of a trick-taking mechanic, and I am not a fan of trick-takers, so I decided to make a trick-taking game I like, and that just ended up... It's morphed now, but that was kind of the premise initially. So playing something... Make something that you want to play is Uh, always a good way to go. Yeah, that's a good idea. I think that is fascinating. Like, you played a game... Or you know you knew you didn't really like trick taking games, so you thought I'm just gonna make one that I would play. Exactly, and, and it had, worked out. Yeah, that's awesome. I have had the the same sort of motivation where I play a game. I'm like, I don't really like this, but I what would I do to make it a game that I would enjoy? That's really interesting. I feel like it's a great design project to work on, whatever you want to call it, to get better. Yeah, totally. Ask for your social media. So as far as anyone trying to reach you, where can you be found on social media or email or website? So our social media, let's see, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Red Raven Game. And we're also on uh, Instagram. And visit our website, redravengames.com. We actually just redesigned our website. It looks super nice. Sounds good. And yeah, and then I'm your host, Danielle Reynolds. And you can find me on Facebook at DMR Creative Group, Twitter at Creative DMR, and then Instagram at Token Gamer. And that's G-A-Y-M-E-R. So thank you for joining us for another episode of Game Design Unbox Inspiration to Publication, episode 24, Sleeping Gods. And thanks again, Ryan. Like, honestly, this video game ask board game blew my mind when I saw it and I was so sad I didn't see it on Kickstarter and I missed out on it. (laughs) Yeah, Thank you. Thank you so much. This has been awesome. This has been another episode of Game Design Unboxed, inspiration to publication, brought to you by GPI. Whether your game needs graphic design, product development, sourcing, or manufacturing, find out how you can take your awesome game idea and get it made by GPI. Go to madebygpi.com, the leading service provider in the toy and game industry. And if you would like to hear more great gaming podcasts, check out the No Direction Network at nodirectionpodcast.com.